Comey was spying on Trump. Well, the reason he was writing the memos was to create a record so that he could destroy No Trump. American knowingly colluded with the Russians to interfere in our election campaigns. Oh wait, unless you mean Hillary Clinton. Pardons, prosecutions, and transparency. You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. Obviously, this is a coronavirus special update. I'm not in the office uh, this week as our operations have been curtailed a bit by the onerous shutdowns here in the nation's capital, but a lot to talk about. I'll give you the latest on coronavirus, of course. Plus, on top of that, we've got a new uh, major court victory to announce in Maryland uh, in our efforts to ensure that state is cleaning up its voter rolls. Plus, we've got uh, new emails that are going to knock your socks off about the Spygate conspiracy, really, which was criminal in nature, targeting President Trump. Uh, Plus, I'll also talk about the new developments on uh, the FISA cover-up, the Spygate cover-up now being enabled by the Republican majority in the Senate, believe it or not. So a lot to cover. First, obviously, is the current coronavirus crisis. We have 26 million people, at least, well over 26 million, out of work as a result of these onerous shutdowns by state governments of uh, virtually everything in their states. New York, New Jersey, California, you name it, these major states have shut everything down. Here in the District of Columbia, the city is closed, essentially. Maryland and Virginia, similarly. So the D.C. capital region is shut down. Some states are beginning to open up. And over the objections of the anti-Trump media, who, in my view, want continued economic destruction because of the political and policy benefit to the Uh, its ideology and its political allies. Uh, And so uh, there's this pitched battle over whether or not we're going to continue the senseless shutdowns that are destroying our economy and uh, attacking our freedom. And so the debate continues with the Georgia shutdown, where the governor there uh, is uh, further allowing additional businesses to open. I guess the president's upset with some of what he's doing, uh, but in the end, good, being a good federalist, uh, the president deferred to the governor of Georgia, even though he may disagree with him on the specifics. Uh, but let's just let me say this, and, and I'm going to repeat it. It bears repeating because I've talked about this repeatedly. The, the presumption ought to be that everything is open. You should be able to go to your church. You should be able to go to your work. You should be able to go to your school. You should be able to do anything that you want to do in a free country, barring uh, emergency reasons that the government might have to prevent you from doing so. And the idea that there's a compelling government reason to shut down an entire society to control a pandemic obviously doesn't make sense. This coronavirus is not going away. You know, the models have collapsed, so they've came up with new models, uh, and they've collapsed. Now the new mantra is now we have to have testing, or now we have to have cases decline for two weeks straight. I don't know why that necessarily gets you to where you want to be, 
because presumably after it declines for two weeks straight and you begin to open things up again, it's going to go up on the uptick because more people will be uh, more people will be exposed to the virus. And now the new mantra is because uh, the testing is obviously um, a silly hurdle. Uh, now the new mantra is uh, contact tracing. Again, they're just making it up as they go along. You've got these public health experts who may be of goodwill, but really are just guessing their way through this crisis. And I don't just, you know, I'm not saying they don't have a right to bring their expertise and advice to the, to the table. But the president and the governors need to look at their advice in the context of the destruction to our economy. There's a local news story here in D.C., the Montgomery County, which is a major suburb north in Maryland. Uh, it's, it's basically the, one of the biggest Maryland suburbs of the District of Columbia. Uh, they've had a 25% increase in domestic violence since the shutdown has begun. So where is the mo where's the modeling for the damage to families and lives over domestic violence? Certainly the president and the vice president have acknowledged that they've got to reopen our healthcare economy, which I which unbelievably has been shut down in response to a pandemic. How do you like that logic? We're facing we're facing healthcare issues. So let's set up our system in a way that forces doctors to fire their staff and shut down their practices and puts hospitals in economic peril. So our healthcare industry was being decimated and now the president and vice president have had to step in with new policies to try to resurrect it. We have a half a trillion dollar new stimulus package or however you want to call it that would provide aid directly again to companies who are trying to keep their payrolls intact despite having no revenue or income. But the government can't substitute for an economy. I have no doubt that money will help people stay employed for a few weeks longer than they otherwise would have. I have no doubt that the unemployment benefits, which are now at some point for many people, more generous than them actually working. Yes, you heard that right. If you're unemployment, you on unemployment, you may make more money than you would have if you were working. So you've got this uh, distortion of the system being introduced by the federal government that's helping us, right? And now you've got this continued sustained attack on potentially effective treatments. Hydroxychloroquine, you may have seen news stories highlighting a uh, basically a study that really wasn't a study suggesting there were uh, deleterious effects to taking hydroxychloroquine hydroxychloroquine i keep on mispronouncing it ignoring all the evidence out there that it's an effective treatment and preventative potentially but if you have an effective treatment potentially and a preventative well, that gets in the way of the shutdown mania, so the media has to suppress it. And, of course, if the president was pushing it, then it really needs to be suppressed because of this ideological and political stake that the left media and their political allies have targeting the president and targeting the president over everything, over everything. So we've got 26 million people unemployed. And the media doesn't give a rat's tail about them. Oh, they pretend to, but they really don't. 
Because if they did, what would the questioning be at the White House briefing? What would the questionings be? The questions would be, Mr. President, how quickly can we get the government, how quickly can we get the states open? Why are you allowing states to uh, shut entire, their entire economies down uh, for no good reason? What's the scientific rationale behind a shutdown? Broad-based indiscriminate shutdowns. You know, I've been working with uh, allies, conservative allies, other movement leaders to try to highlight and educate Americans and educate the administration and governors about the need to get the country back open again. And it shouldn't be at a cost to our liberties. In Washington, D.C., there's no sign the nation's capital is going to be open anytime soon because of this absurd testing standard they have. And now the mayor is announcing that she's hiring 900, 900 contact tracers. I mean, I already told you it's illogical. You know, this, this shows you that the science is just, it, it's just mumbo jumbo in many ways. Because, you know, we do, those of you who follow this, you may recall that we were told that contact tracing only works when there is a, a case or two here, a case or there, a case or two there, where they have a limited number of cases that they're trying to track and, and basically isolate the virus before there's a community spread, right? Well, there's already been community spread. So why this ridiculous process now that we're going to have uh, related to contract tracing? that we need to have thousands of people doing contact tracing. I'm not saying it's not potentially useful as the virus diminishes and you don't want outbreaks popping out. In Washington, D.C., you know what the population of Washington, D.C. is? 700,000, give or take a few, a few thousand. So one out of every 700 people will be working for the government doing contact tracing. So the, the, the logic is, however insane, that's where this is all going when you hear about phasing in, phasing out, phase one, two, three. It just doesn't make any sense to me. As I said last week, I am done with it. And constitutionally speaking, we are way done with it. To the degree that the police powers of the states allow them to control and limit your freedom to address a public health limit, uh, unit, uh, emergency, they're limited to addressing the emergency. If you've got COVID-19 or your family does, they could probably come and say you're quarantined for now. But the idea that you indiscriminately restrict the freedoms of the healthy and those afflicted with the coronavirus is insane. By their standards, we can never be free again. And this is why you need to push back on your governors, call the White House, let them know what you think. If I were the president, I would be bringing out people, highlighting the necessity of getting people back to work. Because frankly, the doctors, uh, they have interesting things to add in terms of treatment and all of that. But uh, look, 
That's not the end all and be all. You can't have health without an economy. You can't have health care without an economy. And we don't have an economy right now that's functioning. 26 point, I think, 4 million unemployed at least. And that underestimates it by according to many. Many of those people can't, for all the money that's being sent out of Washington to try to help people, many of those people don't have enough money to buy food. You see the food lines? Hours long. Are the governors go ahead, going to go and arrest people, not social distancing, as they wait online to feed their family because they've been deprived of a job by their governors? Now, Attorney General Barr has suggested that if things get out of hand with these shutdowns, he would intervene. The Justice Department would intervene. I don't know what he's waiting for. I mean, as often with the Justice Department, the rhetoric doesn't match action. If these were voting rights being suppressed, if these were the sort of uh, the, 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 vote, the, the rights that the left focuses on, the Justice Department would be intervening immediately. But because it's the right to property, the right to religious expression, the right to freely exercise your religion, the right to assemble because it's the wrong people who are assembling and petitioning their government. The left media doesn't care. They don't care about the, they don't care about the First Amendment. And many people in the Justice Department don't care either because many people in the Justice Department are leftists. So my guess is that Barr probably wants to do the right thing, but all, all the deep staters around him don't. And this is where he needs to exercise personal leadership to just intervene and stop the oppression. Because it is oppression. Wow, Judicial Watch has at least 30, excuse me, Judicial Watch has at least 30 Freedom of Information Act requests into the shutdown and the pandemic. So we're looking at it and obviously we're monitoring the situation and, and uh, are considering when and where possibly we could file more direct lawsuits to stop some of the worst form of oppression. But I do think the good news is, and, and there is some good news here, when you look at the states, and I encourage you to go online and check out where, my guess is you already know this since you, I hope, are tracking this pretty carefully, especially if it's your own state. But when you look at all what the states are doing, it's all bending towards opening up. Opening up. The states are opening up despite the media efforts to suppress the effort, despite the media efforts to suppress common sense. You know, Florida is opening up. Georgia is opening up. All these states are gearing towards opening up. Even the District of Columbia, I was complaining about how slow that process is. We need enough open here in the District of Columbia until June 1st, at least which is a calamity, by the way. It's a calamity. But at least they're beginning to do, do something about opening up. But forgive me for being a little urgent here, but every day our economy doesn't open up is on tens of thousands of people being needlessly unemployed. And if we're going to get the economy back up again, we need to turn it all on this sort of phased, incremental 
approach. That, that's just pure socialism. It's not necessarily socialism in the sense of, of, of uh, you know, the economic uh, takeover of the economy, the, economic, the takeover of the economy by the government. It's, it's, it's planning. It's the socialist engineering of society. That, co that company can open, but that company can't. It's appropriate to go into that store with social distancing, but it's not appropriate to go into that store with social distancing. And we're going to adjust it as if the experts know and the politicians know how to run an economy, the greatest economy in the history of man, from governor mansions around the country. Did you hear Andrew Cuomo the other day? Said, well, if you don't like being fired, you don't like having work because you're not an essential employee, go get a job as an essential worker. I mean, that's the sort of arrogance and tyrannical thinking that, in my view, should require the Justice Department to go in and rescue the citizens of New York from their governor who is suppressing their freedom without any foundation. I know their protests are growing. Of course, the media hates that. So uh, this is what you need to do. You need to call your governors. You need to call the White House. And you need to call your members of Congress to try to save the republic. The longer this goes on, the more damage will happen. I mean, for instance, air travel, as I said, is at 1954 levels the last I checked. Which I, I don't know what the hotel industry, I'm sure all the travel and tourism industry is, is effectively destroyed. But I want you to think about that. So every day we delay opening it up, you know, the airline industry isn't going to get back on its feet tomorrow. It's going to take months for them to get back to where they were prior to the coronavirus shutdown. It's going to take months. So the longer we delay, the longer that recovery is stalled for not only the airline industry, but these other industries. And the left is gleeful at this. Um, uh, our congresswoman from New York, Alexandria Oscao-Cortez, AOC, she saw that oil was trading at less than zero, I think. And she said, I, I forget the exact tweet, she had to take it down. But she essentially applauded it and said this is an opportunity for worker-led mass investment in green technology. Completely communist claptrap. But she was celebrating this destruction of our economy that has put demand for oil in such a situation that you basically have to pay people to store the oil and you can't make money much money from it. So there, as I keep on saying, there's little political benefit to the left to reopening and restoring America. And I would encourage the president to recognize that and encourage the governors to understand that. Now, despite all this, the governors need to hear from you. They know in their heart of hearts they can't keep this going forever. But they'll keep it going for two more months just to spite the president and just to spite you. So this is why you need to contact them. And of course, Judicial Watch is going to continue 
to do its educational activities to try to not only protect your freedoms and rights, but to kind of get the government back to its lawful status. Because too much of what the government is doing right now in the states is unlawful. And the courts are going to be hesitant to, to curtail it. So it really is going to take a citizen activism in order to protect your own rights. We'll, we'll, we'll do what we can with the tools we have, but you have to recognize that your right to petition your government, however restricted, could still be key to helping get this country back to where it belongs. So uh, that being said, uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis is, uh, as I said, you know, you can see from this update, it's curtailed our activities a little bit, but not much. We're still doing the work necessary to uncover government corruption. We're still in court litigating. The courts are still operating more or less, at least in the areas that we're concerned about. There have been some delays. The bad news is the federal government specifically has essentially shut down key FOIA operations using coronavirus as an excuse. Are you aware of any federal government, by the way, are you aware of any federal government employees who have been laid off? Of course not. So we don't get any FOIA documents. I don't know what the FOIA employees are doing, but now we're not allowed to get any FOIA documents. They're using coronavirus as an excuse. But we're still getting some, or we have some that we had gotten that we're releasing now from before the collapse. And um, the, uh, the documents are from the email communications between Page and Strzok. Now, they are sitting on the FBI are, uh, and P Lisa Page was the former uh, FBI attorney who had this uh, illicit adulterous relationship with Peter Strzok. Uh, the other top counterintelligence official in the FBI, uh, and between the two of them, they hated Trump and loved Hillary Clinton. It's pretty clear based on the text messages, you know, the insurance, insurance uh, text messages and things like that. Now, what's going on uh, is that we had asked for all of their communications, emails and texts. Of course, they've been holding the text messages from us, and they have, I think, over 13,000 email communications. And they've been slow rolling the release of those records to us. And now we know why, because of the records, each patch has material further confirming the criminal conspiracy against the president of the United States and the criminal cover-up of Hillary Clinton's corruption and seeming criminal activity tied to her email misconduct. And the latest batch of emails is just incredible. Uh, and it implicates who? John McCain. People forget that the late senator, his people, circulated the smear dossier that essentially called the president a traitor. So McCain was in on it. And now the documents show that the FBI had every reason to know almost immediately that not only that McCain was leaking the documents, but it also highlighted these emails show that uh, that they saw the dossier was being leaked six ways to Sunday by Team Clinton. This is just before the inauguration of the president, President Trump. And despite knowing that this group was leaking to try to destroy Trump, they were still trying to work with these people, I mean by steel and fusion GPS, to launder their dirt fraudulently into the FISA warrants.
In fact, that's what they were literally doing. This is, the head, this is our first uh, paragraph. The records include an email dated January 10th, 2017, in which Strzok said that the version of the dossier published by BuzzFeed, BuzzFeed was the publication that first published the smear, was identical, in quotes, to the version given to the FBI by McCain and had differences from the dossier provided by, to the FBI by Fusion GPS co-founder Glenn Simpson and Mother Jones reporter David Korn. January 10th, 2017, is the same day BuzzFeed published the anti-Trump dossier by former British spy Christopher Steele. Emails show that also that Strzok and other FBI agents were mocking President Trump a few weeks before he was inaugurated. In addition, emails reveal that Strzok communicated with Andrew McCabe, the now-disgraced former Deputy Director for the FBI. In fact, he was acting FBI Director, which is even more serious for a period of time after Comey was fired. And Strzok was asking McCabe about the so-called leak investigation that was tied to the Clinton Foundation, and McCabe was the leaker. He was implicated in the leak. So that, that email is really interesting, but there's so much here to unwrap, and I'm going to go through it with you more directly. This is the big uh, so this is the big email about them knowing that the McCain gang was involved in the leaking or strongly suggests they knew or should have known. And it also shows that there was more than one dossier floating around out there. And well, I've already told you that there have been multiple Trump dossiers. You had this is what was going on. You had Steele giving the dossier to the FBI. You also had Steele laundering additional material through Bruce Orr and Nellie Orr. You had the State Department laundering the Steele material into the State Department, into the Justice Department. You also had the Obama State Department laundering Clinton campaign operatives who were had a similar dossier, Sidney Blumenthal and Cody Shear. They were passing that along to Steele and the State Department as well. And then, of course, you had the version by McCain, which is different, that was also given to the FBI. So by my count, that's one, two, three, four, was it four or five dossiers? Talk about insurance. They had dossiers incoming from all directions in the FBI and Justice Department. And the FBI and Justice Department knew it was a sham. Getting back to the emails that are gobsmacking. Strzok sent the, uh, on January 10th, 2017, Strzok, under the subject, Ray Buzzfeed published some of the reports, writes, our internet system is blocking the site. I have the PDF via iPhone, but it's 25.6 megabytes. Comparing now, the set is only identical to what Senator John McCain had. It has differences from what was given to us by Korn and Simpson. Strzok sent the email to Page and several top-ranking FBI officials, including Deputy Director Andrew McCabe, Assistant Director for the FBI, um, 
Assistant Director for the Counterintelligence Division, Bill Priestep, who was a step above Strzok, it looks like. Deputy Assistant Director of Counterintelligence, John Maffa. Assistant Director for uh, Public Affairs, Michael Cortran. General Counsel, James Baker. And Directors, Comey's Chief of Staff, James Rubicki. So that was the control group at the FBI. That was the control group that was running out of their, op their leadership office the operation against President Trump then candidate, uh, at this time he was elected president. He was president-elect Trump. And they're gathering this dossier material and recognizing that McCain, or someone close to McCain, it turned out that McCain acknowledged he gave the dossier information to the FBI but he denied being the source of the BuzzFeed dossier report. Well, that wasn't true because court filings, which were unsealed last year, showed the Arizona Republican senator and an associate had shared their dossier with several media outlets. So what does this all mean? It means that McCain was a leaker trying to drive anti-Trump sentiment with that smear, but it also showed the FBI knew that McCain was leaking, and as importantly, that Steele and the Clinton camp was leaking this all over the place. And they didn't tell the court the extent of that. They suggested he was, they were unclear whether he leaked, I think if I recall correctly, I'm going on memory here, so you have to double check. But to the degree they mentioned Steele doing any leaks, they were vague as to whether or not he was even responsible. But they acknowledged they had to let him go. But they knew the dossier was still continuing to be peddled within the media by Steele. At the same time, and this is what they didn't tell the court, they were tr still trying to work with Steele through Bersore. They never stopped. In fact, we have the documents that show that happened. They were leaking material to Steele as well, we found. Just before the election, they were telling Steele they were investigating Trump. Telling Steele they're investigating Trump, based on these Russia smears, is like telling Hillary Clinton, because Steele was working for her in the campaign. And who's David Korn? He was the recipient of the dossier leaks. And of course, Fusion GPS was working, as I said, for the Clinton campaign. So it's just incredible material. All this is taking place just before the president's inaugurated. The FBI knew about these leaks. I'm, keep on, I'm, not, I'm not looking at the camera. I'm supposed to be looking at the camera, I guess. Um, now, this is another classic. So... What happened with Andrew McCabe and the leaks? So the irony here is that there was a suggestion that the FBI was suppressing an investigation into the Clinton Foundation. When in fact it was the Justice Department who was stopping the FBI, it looks like, from doing anything. And uh, McCabe was upset about that and leaked that they were still doing something on the Clinton Foundation. And they had, you know, DOJ may have tried to do something, but he, uh, he leaked that they were still doing something on the Clinton Foundation, when in fact they really weren't doing anything, but that's another matter. 
So the irony is that, uh, and that leak was investigated, McCabe initially denied he was involved or suggested he had permission, and it turned out that that was not the case, or that's what the IG concluded, and that's why he was referred to the Justice Department for prosecution, which Attorney General Barr refused to do. Incredibly. So these, this email shows that Strzok was trying to figure out what was going on with the leak, uh, leak investigation, and uh, who was he asking about it? Andrew McCabe. So it's just incredible. The new production concludes an email, December 22, 2016, in which Strzok asked then-Deputy Director Andrew McCabe that the FBI had opened a leak investigation into the Clinton Foundation media reports. Strzok writes, I received word via Jen tomorrow morning Mike S., presumably uh, Executive Assistant Director Mike Steinbeck, wants to talk about whether we've opened a leak investigation into the publicity surrounding the Clinton Foundation. He said he'd like to discuss, as the D, meaning Comey, would like to do something. I need guidelines as to how, if you'd like me to detail the media poll we conducted. As you may recall, we have not detailed that activity other than to you and Bill. McCabe's reply is to Strzok is redacted. So they're protecting McCabe. Still to this day, the FBI is. So this is, this is the outrage here. McCabe did it. He didn't tell anyone he was doing it. You can bet he didn't tell Strzok that. And he's directing the investigation into himself. It's like these spy movies where... Um, Or, or, or I, I think it may have been the Robert Hansen case where the, the, the spy or the leaker was running the leak investigation. And of course, McCabe was fired because he lacked candor under oath and not under oath. But never prosecuted. But if you, in the FBI, if you're a senior anti-Trump FBI official, you get a pass from the deep state, and frankly, uh, the leadership of the FBI, Ray, and Mr. Barr. This is what the IG report concluded about McCabe. McCabe's disclosure of the existence of an ongoing investigation violated the FBI's and the department's media policy and constituted misconduct. McCabe was referred for prosecution, and DOJ declined to do anything. So more information about the depth of scant of corruption by Andrew McCabe. I mean, it's pretty clear, you know, Strzok's email is that he didn't know Comey was involved in the leak investigation or was the leaker. He wouldn't have been asking him for direction. And why is, why is McCabe's response being withheld from us? Huh, Director Ray? Why do you keep covering up for the corrupt Obama gang that destroyed whatever remnant of reputation the FBI had. Documents also include several emails in which Strzok forwards the Russia-related um, forwards Russia Gate-related news articles to Page and other FBI officials. On January 1, 2017, Strzok forwarded to Maffa and another identified official New York Times article titled "Trump Promises Revelations on Hacking." The article discusses President-elect Trump's skepticism about U.S. intelligence skeptic assessments of Russia hacking relating to the 2016 election. 
struck, cut, and pasted a quote from the article in which Trump said, I don't care what they say, no computer is safe. I have a boy who's 10. He can do anything with a computer. You want something to really go out, to go without detection, write it out and have it sent by courier. Seems like a reasonable. <laughs> That's probably true. The article mentions that Trump said new information would be coming out that following Tuesday. Strzok then says in his cover note, I think the Tuesday surprise is all the stuff Redacted told him during the CI, the counterintelligence briefing. So now you know that Strzok was involved in the counterintelligence briefings to the vice to the President of the United States. Probably about a compromise. He did, and this is, he writes in DID and capitalization, he did mention this stuff about his son and the computer password. A redacted uh, FBI agent, meaning the name of the agent's redacted, replies to Strzok, but the reply is also redacted. Another FBI agent then responds, to be accurate, he called it a code word, not a password. Ha! Exclamation point. Strzok replies, funnies. So there you got senior FBI officials gossiping about the president's counterintelligence investigation and making fun of the incoming president. Further confirming, Strzok thought little of the president-elect and was willing to engage in nasty gossip with his colleagues about and we have other emails showing he was sending around the worst of the worst conspiracy theories about Trump and Russia. And this is just icing on the cake. For instance, uh, not for instance, this is another email. On December 15th, this is an interesting one. Struck forwards to Page, uh, Lisa Page, an article from the Daily Mail, which states that a former British diplomat, Craig Murray, claimed to have received emails that were stolen from the DNC and John Podesta. Remember, that's the emails that were supposedly hacked by the Russians. How do we know they were hacked by the Russians? Because the Obama gang told us so. And I guess we're not allowed to ask any questions about how they knew. Frankly, I don't believe anything. I believe the Russians probably hacked them, but I don't believe and trust the Obama gang to have figured it out one way or another. Murray said he received the emails near the grounds of American University in Washington, D.C. The article said the emails were from an inside DNC source, not Russians. Strzok writes in his cover note to Page, Shady T at AU with a emoji wink. Isn't that curious? You may recall prior emails that we received show that they were struck was involved with other FBI agents in trying to squash a news story about um, Seth Rich and email. Seth Rich was the DNC staffer who was murdered. The murder remains unsolved. And what do you make of that email? On December 21st, 2016, struck forwards the page a link to a Defense One article about Russian efforts to interfere in the U.S. presidential election. Struck cut and pasted a quote from former acting CIA director Michael Morell, in which Morell says, To me, and this is to me, and not an overstatement, this is the political equivalent of 
So now we know where Strzok stands there. He's highlighting anti-Trump quotes and sending them around. Well, to be fair, that's not necessarily an anti-Trump quote, but certainly it's an overstatement of what the Russians did by the government's own description in the 2016 elections. If by the intervention he's describing a Ma's Facebook ad buy, it ain't much at all. Of course, Morell, being an Obama person, isn't thinking of their coordination with the FBI through Christopher Steele and the Clinton campaign to try to overturn the results of the election and make life miserable for the Trump. Again, he forwards an article, Strzok does, in December of 2016. This is the end of December. A Bloomberg article titled, Trump aid partner with firm run by man with alleged KGB ties. And who was this? About General Flynn. So again, more gossip innuendo target, uh, targeting President Flynn, uh, excuse me, then um, he was the incoming National Security Advisor. And what does is, what is Strzok say in conveying the email to Page? See, look, I'm sharing with his wink emoji. I tell you, it's disgusting to read this email communications. These guys had it in for Trump, and they had it in for Flynn. They had it in for anyone they didn't like. In Trump world, it's pretty clear. And let me just say again, the president should pardon General Flynn. These emails are further demonstration. He was unfairly targeted by the Obama gang. Any prosecution or investigation of him is tainted. He was ambushed. They lied about whether he lied. We can't trust anything, any prosecution conducted by either the Obama administration, the Mueller investigation, or frankly now even the DOJ tied to Russia interference. The theory And anyone else caught up in the that investigation like Manafort, Flynn, and people like that, I'd pardon them all. And Flynn should be pardoned first thing. So again, these emails show that Strzok and his Obama and the Obama FBI almost knew immediately that McCain was behind the leaks of one of the the dossier. The emails show that senior FBI officials had contempt for President Trump and gossiped about him. About a counterintelligence agreement, a, a counterintelligence briefing. I tell you what, I guess I don't need to prove you this, convince you of this, but it's pretty, pretty convincing though, pretty, pretty apparent that the FBI under Comey and McCabe was a train wreck, both ethically and legally. And given the cover-up of what went on that continues to this day, things haven't changed much. Really incredible stuff. And, you know, before I move on to the next topic, I want to explain uh, the, the uh, details that we're now getting out of this fraud Senate report, which supposedly supports 
the Obama gang's analysis of the Russian interference in our elections. You had an 80-page report that was mostly redacted that said they, they, they engaged in proper tradecraft in concluding. Actually, they didn't conclude. They were disagreements about whether the interference, allegedly, in our elections was because Putin wanted to see Trump win. As Fred Felix has said, who was a former national security official, former CIA official, he said Nunes looked at this material, his team, and they, they talked to the intel people. They said that Brennan was running the show and he was suppressing evidence the Russians wanted Hillary to win. And when we get confirmation in this Senate report, which was written by, quote, the Senate Intelligence Committee jointly, which means that the Democrats were running it. They've been running the Senate Intelligence Committee since day one, practically speaking, on these issues. It confirms the following. Obama ordered an all-hands-on-deck attack on Trump on Russia interference. They did the report in three weeks. They used the dossier at... at, uh, at uh, Comey's insistence, they attached it. There was no credible there was no credible information. It was a bogus analysis that the reason the Russians quote interfered in our elections was to help Trump. I mean, if you read the ICA, you will see just looking at the analysis, it doesn't hold up because the conclusions they draw about the operations. could easily be changed to say the Russians thought Clinton was going to win. They had an interest in making her weaker by bolstering Trump. And of course, they all were writing that intelligence assessment saying that Putin was on Hillary on Trump's side or wanted him to win, despite knowing and having information that the Russians may have been working with Steele and Clinton directly to hurt Trump. And the Senate Intelligence Committee completely failed in highlighting that. And the Senate majority, the Republicans, Senator McConnell should be asked why he allowed this garbage report to be published. Senator Burr should be asked why he allowed this garbage report to be published. And it shows you these intelligence agencies oftentimes run the show when it comes to oversight in Congress. And this is why Nunes is the exception that proves the rule, because typically the head of the intelligence communities committees uh, are tools of the agencies. And Nunes is so hated because he refused to be a tool. And this report confirms Obama knew. He did it. And I don't know what the Russians did with the their interference in our elections. I you know I don't know what the scope of it was, whether it was material or why it was done. But I can tell you, there's no reason to believe or trust any analysis about it out of the Obama administration. And one of the great failures initially of the Trump administration was President Trump's appointees who were oblivious just to continue to accept the Obama administration's conclusions about Russians' intent 
in interfering in our elections and the scope and the nature and the purpose. As opposed to doing something substantive and asking what was going on here that the Obama gang rushed out this intelligence report breaking all the rules and norms to make Trump look bad. They just accepted it. Coates, who was rightly fired by Trump, were pushed out. Comey, obviously he had an interest in continuing the lies. Trump finally fired him. And I don't trust Durham to get to the bottom of this. Supposedly he's investigating Brennan. Brennan was behind, according to, to reports, the scam ICA. I'll say it once, I'll say it again. Judicial Watch's Freedom of Information Act litigation has had more to do with disclosing what went on than anything the Justice Department has done. The IG report, much of that, there was additional information, but much of the core information was already developed by Judicial Watch through its Freedom of Information Act litigation. I mean, Nunez, he, his own, he, he and his people did a, the analysis early on that it just was so, was, withstood the test of time. It's all just been confirmed. DOJ and FBI continue to suppress and stall and delay justice on this, the worst corruption scandal in American history. So we're doing our best to try to uncover what they refuse to disclose. We're slow rolling, you know, as we say with the struck page material, there's still more coming out. Of course, now all that's going to be stalled using coronavirus as an excuse. Well, that all being said, we've got some good news to report to you in the area of election integrity. Those of you who follow our work know that Judicial Watch is the leader in using litigation and education to encourage, and in some cases require states, to take reasonable steps to clean up the voting rolls as the law requires. The National Voter Registration Act, the Motor Voter Bill, has a uh, requirement in it, obviously, that uh, you, know, you get to register to vote at, um, at voter locations, uh, excuse me, at, let's say, driver, uh, where you can get your driver's license or other places where public services are made available, what the, uh, that can lead to double registration and dirty voting rolls. And so the part of the bill is, the law is, that you got to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls. Yes, register everybody that you can within reason. But the fraud and the dirty rolls that result as a result of those registration efforts, that can be checked by taking reasonable steps to make sure the, ro the rolls are clean. Meaning that when people move or die or, move, or, or otherwise become ineligible, their names are removed from the rolls. And you know what the law requires? It's something as simple as sending a card. You don't vote in an election, federal general election, you get a card. And if you don't do it and say, then the card essentially says, hey, we missed you. Are you still there? And if you don't respond to that card and then don't vote in the next two general federal elections. So we're talking about potentially a time period as long as four to five years. Then you're removed from the rolls. 
The states don't, too many states don't even do that. Otherwise, the roles would be much cleaner. In North Carolina, we sued in North Carolina. They've got a million, nearly a million extra names on the rolls. In California, 20% of the rolls were dirty or, quote, inactive. The sorts of names that should have been being sent cards and being removed. California wasn't doing any of that for nearly 20 years until we sued California and Los Angeles County. And now Los Angeles County is removing up to 1.6 million names under the process I described. In Maryland, we had indications that their rolls were dirty as well, and we wanted access to the voter rolls, their registration data, so we could further analyze it. And they didn't want to give it to us. So the lower court, uh, the district court, the federal district court, said you've got to follow the law and give Judicial Watch the information. But then they, he wanted additional briefing on another key aspect of the full voter registration records, which is the birth dates. Unless you have birth date data, it's hard to figure out, it makes it harder to figure out whether, for instance, someone who died 10 years ago because, or should have died 10 years ago because the birth date indicates they're 120, With the birth date, you can figure out there's a problem. Makes sense. It's public data. It's the part of the registration record, and Maryland didn't want to give it to us. And the court said, you've got to fight. You've got to do it. The judge in the case, Judge Hollander, said the Judicial Watch need not demonstrate its need for birth date information in order to facilitate its effort to ensure that the voter rolls are properly maintained. Nevertheless, it has put forward reasonable justification for requiring birth date information, including using birth dates to find duplicate registrations and searching for voters who remain on the rolls despite improbable age. So, for instance, you can have John Smith, and you could have a thousand John Smiths on the voter rolls. And it's hard to figure out which John Smiths are duplicates, without some key further identifying information, including obviously birth dates. So if you got two John Smiths with the same birth dates, it's a pretty good indication that maybe there's a duplicate file there. And the court noted that we didn't even have to provide a reason. We had a right to it, but we did, we went the extra step. And so thanks, thanks to this lawsuit and thanks to this court ruling, the second one that was favorable to us, in his first decision, he wrote, Organizations such as Judicial Watches have the resources and expertise, thanks to you, that few individuals can marshal. By excluding these organizations from access to voter registration lists, the state law undermines the federal laws of efficacy. Accordingly, marital election law is an obstacle to the accomplishments of the NVRA's purposes. It follows that the state law is preempted insofar as it allows only Maryland-registered voters to access voter registration lists. So first we had to overcome that hurdle. Then they didn't want to give us the complete data. And now they will have to give us the complete data. We've been fighting this for three years. Three years to get this basic information that we're due to under law. 
You know what the Russians did in response to our request? They accused us of being agents for the Russians. Can you believe that? Well, I guess you can, because that's the way the left operates now. If you disagree with them, you're an agent for the Russians. So you had official government bodies in court telling us that we were agents for the Russians. Isn't that outrageous? Because we want to make sure that your votes are more secure because the voting rolls are cleaner. Because dirty voting rolls can lead to dirty elections. And I tell you what, the left hates the idea of clean elections because they want to be able to steal elections. That's what I've concluded after years of doing this work. Why else would you oppose voter ID? Why else would you oppose clean voter rolls? In North Carolina, there's a left-wing group already trying to intervene in our case. So now we're going to be battling the left in addition to battling the state to try to get clean election rolls in North Carolina. They oppose voter ID. They oppose clean voter rolls. They're still pushing, and they're using coronavirus to still push vote by mail, which would bring chaos, discord on election day. Vote by mail is less terribly insecure, invites fraud. The best and most secure way to vote is in person in a ballot box. In a, ballot, in a polling location. They want ballot harvesting nationally. They want to end all voter ID. That's a formula for stealing an election. And you have to be on the watch for this. Absentee ballots are already available. If you're so afraid of the coronavirus, vote absentee. But that's not good enough for the left. They just want ballots to be mailed to virtually everyone in America who's, quote, registered to vote, including the uh, people who shouldn't be on the rolls at Judicial Watch, because our, our, our hard work is uncovered. So we're facing this threat to our economy, this threat to our freedoms, and this threat to our election systems, all because of this crazed response to coronavirus. And the left is using this as an opportunity to undermine the security of your vote, the security of our elections in a way that just blow them up. And we've got more litigation coming. There's another state we're going to sue, I think, next week to clean up their rolls. Millions of names are on the rolls that shouldn't be there across the nation. The left wants to give them all ballots. How do you think that's going to turn out? And that's why they hate Judicial Watch's methodical, persistent, rule of law efforts to get states to just do the basics in cleaning up the rolls. Because we're not asking them to do something crazy. It would be It's a process that takes place that allows them to clean up the rolls. And we're just asking them to follow this simple process. So, and I'm going to end by saying, look, you've got to support Judicial Watch. Because the left has all of these groups focused on, for instance, undermining election integrity. They've got the entire media trying to 
undermine our Republican form of government by continuing to push for the overthrow and removal of the president of the United States. They're still pushing the Russia, the Russia smears even as we begin, as we even as we speak. The left is concocting a, a coronavirus task force to target President Trump, not because they're concerned about coronavirus, because they're trying to figure out another way to remove him from office. And who stands for the rule of law on all of these issues in ways that the Justice Department, the major media, obviously is part of the problem in many respects, and Congress refused to do? Judicial Watch. And the reason we're able to do this, the reason we have the resources, the reason the courts respect our litigation is because of the strong support of Americans like you. Join our cause, join our movement, support Judicial Watch, support the Constitution, and support the rule of law. I'll see you next week here on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's Weekly Update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.